This is Eric Zolke, Web Communications Manager at PRB. As part of PRB's celebration of the 100th anniversary of International Women's Day, I'm joined by a special guest who has had an unequaled international career as a champion of women's reproductive health and rights. Nafis Sadiq joined the United Nations in 1971 and served from 1987 to 2000 as the Executive Director for UNFPA. Since 2001, she has served as a Special Envoy for HIV-AIDS in Asia and the Pacific for the UN Secretary General. Welcome, Dr. Sadiq. Thank you. Over your long career overseeing reproductive health and family planning at the UN, what would you say have been the major advancements for women? Um, I think the UN has uh, been the key in uh, putting gender uh, equality and women's empowerment as uh, one of the major elements of human rights. And within that, the right to reproductive health and the power to make their own decisions on matters of, um, you know, everything related to fertility and reproduction, that is um, who to marry, when to marry, if to have children, when to have children, how many children to have, um, etc., or not. And then, of course, um, in adolescent, having the right to um, have access and information to uh, protect themselves from, uh, you know, if they indulge in sexual activities. These are some of the issues that are now on the table, and I think they were not there in 1971. We had a hard time persuading governments to, even to accept uh, family planning as an important part of maternal and child health. Uh, um, and, you know, when we, UNFPA came into existence in 1969, um, there was uh, there were only five or six countries that had that allowed family planning in their uh, programs, and by 1984, every developing country in the world, and of course most of the uh, developed countries, had had family planning as part of their health programs, and some also with demographic objectives. But since then, of course, the agenda has moved on to the whole issue of the rights of women and the right of women to make decisions for themselves and to be equipped to do so. Um, it's now recognized that it should be from early childhood uh, um, uh, and throughout their uh, lives. So certainly the world has come a long way in the last few decades for in terms of women's rights. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, issues that were pushed under the carpet like uh, um, abortion are now in the main arena, not always with uh, you know positive uh, outcomes, but at least they're discussed and you know unsafe and abortions and the number of deaths from unwanted and unplanned pregnancies is all out in the open. Issues also like uh, female genital mutilation, um, early marriage, um, incest, rape, and of course. Uh, all other forms of violence against women are now on the public agenda. They are, you know, very much debated and discussed. Governments have a hard time, actually, of course, uh, coming to terms with these because, you know, uh, they hide under the cloak of uh, culture and our value system. Then all the value systems, in fact, in the world all seem to dominate women and discriminate against women and men making decisions for women as if women are not capable of making decisions for themselves. And mainly if you see the UN scene and elsewhere, it's in the area of fertility and reproduction. 
But what advancements for women have not taken place as you would have hoped for by now? Well, I think that um, the whole issue of reproductive rights is still a big issue. You know, there's, um, I mean, many things are recognized, but they're not actually given. And here the whole issue of the adolescent girl is a major issue, not only in the developing countries, but in the developed countries as well. And then for all the attention on um, abortion, still there are, I don't know, 40,000 abortions and um, uh, 70,000 abortions still taking place. And 218 million women in the world don't have access to family planning and reproductive health information and services. Um, uh, I would have thought that there would have been a lot more advance there. And um, also, um, you know, these issues are all very much linked to um, women's uh, empowerment and gender equality. That's being taught everywhere and talked about everywhere. But um, And laws have been changed in, I would say, in the majority of the countries, etc. But the law enforcement is just uh, absent. And um, so, you know, rapes go unpunished, violence against women go unpunished. Um, um, you see all the issues of um, um, honor killings, etc. still there. Inheritance rights are there in the law, but not in the implementation. So these are issues that still need a lot of work. And uh, they're going to take a while to change because they're so ingrained and, you know, cloaked in so many different wrappings. And one, you know, you un undo one wrapping and then another wrapping is used mm. to, to uh, can continue to enforce it. Well, in your position uh, right now as Special Envoy for HIV AIDS in Asia and the Pacific for the UN Secretary General, uh, what message do you have for policymakers regarding women in HIV? Well, I think that, you know, women didn't get any attention in the HIV-AIDS movement for a long time when, in fact, um, you know, young women in particular were getting um, um, infected at a higher rate. In the Asia case, uh, when I started working as a special envoy, what I discovered is in the high, um, higher prevalence countries, uh, uh, like, for example, India, women were at much higher risk uh, even in the early phases of the problem uh, than men, even in, you know, compared to the African uh, epidemic. Uh, one found that, yeah, in, for example, in India, which has the largest number of HIV uh, cases in Asia, um, um, and has the second largest number in the world because, just because of its size of population, many more women, and especially young women, are getting infected with HIV and AIDS. And, you know, not because they've um, had any um, sexual relations other than their spouse, which means that they're getting infected from their spouse. They just have the one partner. You know, that study shows that 95% of women get it from their partner. Um, in the case of HIV AIDS uh, and women, is a huge issue as far as discrimination, stigma against women is concerned. Uh, um, mother-to-child transmission, the vertical transmission, is still not accessible to a lot of women, partly because of them themselves and partly because the programs are not giving them the focus, though in the last year there's been a big in, in improvement. But women are not always, um, who are found to be pregnant and HIV positive, are not immediately put on treatment. 
the they wait for the the labor to give the uh, you know prevention of the mother to child uh, transmission rather than putting the woman on hiv treatment uh, as soon as as is, it is possible and continuing her treatment so that again you know it it it's real still discrimination against girls and women many times the society also blames the woman for the hiv infection in a husband when in fact it's the other way around and and so on so you know that i mean the un aids and with the help of all the partners in the un system has has done a framework for how to address gender issues then the whole issue of um, sex workers women sex workers is a huge issue and women uh, the sex workers are blamed as one of the problems in hiv transmission when in fact you know they they are in sex work but they're not this, the uh, the ones who uh, disseminate the infect in, in fact is their partners and their clients and the importance of sex work is um, uh, and the need to address the needs of sex workers is very important um, hiv <clears throat> pregnant women need to be protected from uh, pregnancy if they don't want to be pre- pregnant and they need to be helped during pregnancy if they want to be pregnant so these are all issues that we need to address in the hiv agenda well i'm interested in your uh, personal experience you know coming from pakistan and working in the united nations as you have done what factors do you credit with empowering you to achieve your goals and beyond i you know the as is common with many people once i was on a, on a panel with all the heads of organizations you know group brunland mary Robinson, Catherine Bertini, myself, and Carol Bellamy. Except for, um, I think, Carol Bellamy, all of us credited our fathers for the opportunities that we were given. Because, you know, I grew up in the 30s and 40s and graduated in, you know, in 50 from medical school. If I, my father hadn't pushed uh, education for girls, I don't think it would have been possible for me because I wanted to be educated. But you know, the uh, family structure was, you know, girls must get married in their teens and so on. So I do um, credit my father and then later my husband for supporting me in my career and um, uh, encouraging me to achieve whatever my goals and uh, were. in the UNFPA when i joined in 1971 the head of the organization was rafael salas from manila and he was actually a great mentor to me in the un system because the un didn't have women at the senior level and i was the first woman to become the head of an organization in the whole un system so you can see that was in 1987 pretty late in, hmm, right. in uh, you know in the history of right. women's affairs because women i mean un has been at the forefront of uh, women's rights in you know 1975 was the first conference but it didn't have any women heads till i became the head of course subsequently we have uh, many but still not equal to the number of men when i left there were 22% of the heads of organization were women and that was considered oh my goodness what a perfect achievement and i used to say <laughs> even at that time i mean it's much better than the one that i was for many years but it's not a perfect uh, achievement but i think uh, the fact that you know th- there's more and more recognition that you need half you know all of the world's population to um, help a nation to progress 
I think the whole emphasis on the rights of individuals and especially um, women's rights is become, you know, quite key. Um, uh, my view is that the need for women to be empowered and to be able to make their own decisions is not because they contribute to the family or should not be because they contribute to the family or to the economy or to anything else. I think they should have their rights because they are human rights and they are their rights. And then they should have the choice and the options to do what they want with their lives. But um, you, you still hear the, you know, uh, statement that we will empower women. I said, actually, nobody can be empowered. You have to be enabled to, be, to have the power mm. and to have your rights, which will empower you. But anyway, these are many things that we um, talk about and think about. They're not all, um, all the views are not held by everybody, but this is my view. And, I, you know, I credit the fact that I had very strong mentors. I mean, you know, obviously I made my <laughs> intentions very clear, but I was helped along the way by a great number of people. Well, it's very interesting. Um... I wanted to ask you just finally, um, in your home country of Pakistan, do you see a new role for women today? Is the situation for women changing? I think that there are many women now who are coming out. It's slow progress because Pakistan is, you know, in in a very uh, uh, schizophrenic state of mind. It wants to progress economically and yet, you know, socially and uh, uh, conservatively, it's going a little bit backwards. When I was growing up, I mean, you know, girls, as, as a girl myself, we had lots of freedoms, etc. And now I see women in Pakistan are scared to go out, and you know, often. But yet, amongst them, there are lots of women who who are, um, you know, coming out. And I think that the people who think more liberally should be a lot more vocal because their voices seem to be lost. And I think women themselves need to be a lot more assertive. I think there are women leaders who are trying to do that. But certainly in the progress of Pakistan, if women are not empowered, have an equal say in the, in the society, are enabled to have their um, uh, own options for life, Pakistan won't progress. I mean, you see every country that has progressed uh, developmentally has had women increasingly participating in all aspects of progress and development. You know, your question on what is the key to overcoming yes. gender inequality, I really think myself, even though it might be that I'm biased in the field, that unless women have the um, power to make their own decisions on fertility and reproduction, inequalities will persist because that's one area where men don't want to give up power. And, you know, you need to have equal power for each gender to make their own decisions in every aspect of life. It can't be except in the area of uh, fertility and sexuality and reproduction. And I think that's why I believe very strongly that the areas... Um, I work in and many, many hundreds of women work in is the key to um, empowerment of women and to uh, promoting or achieving gender equality. Well, thank you very much again, Dr. Sadek. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you.